praise God. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul. Hallelujah. And all that is within me. Praise God. Let's turn our Bibles to, uh, hmm, where did I? Well, let's, let's go to Matthew 21, 28. There's a lot of places to start on this. Matthew 21, 28. Probably want to entitle tonight's message, and what should a son do? What should a son do? We have a lot of Christians today that have lost the simplicity of a life of obedience. They go about to prove their self-wisdom and wise and spiritual and become just babbling fools, uneffective vessels, vessels of dishonor instead of vessels of honor. And so I kind of want to teach along those lines and uh, we'll see how it goes. Of course, we don't sell CDs anymore, so it ain't going to hurt me one bit. Hallelujah. Amen. And uh, so Matthew 21 and verse 28. And what think ye? A certain man had two sons, and he came to the first, and he said, Son, go work a day in my vineyard. And he answered and said, I will not. But afterward he repented, and he went. And then he came to the second, and he said, Likewise. And he answered him and said, I will go, sir, and went not. Whither of them of the twain did the will of his father? They say unto him, well, the first, Jesus said unto them, Verily I say unto you, that the publicans and the harlots go into the kingdom of God before you. Now, I want you to realize that Jesus has just made a very profound statement. That sinners, people, harlots, are far more dedicated to their life and their labors than the church. Notice what Jesus says. The church wrestles with two different types of sonship. The one is born of the flesh and the other is born of the spirit. The one that is born of the spirit, though he may struggle to perform what he says he did, ultimately the overwhelming commitment to his father supersedes the desire of his own. The second son always wants to say yea and amen and always wants to show his spirituality, his working, and his planning to be accepted by the Father, yet ultimately accomplishes nothing in life for the Father. Jesus is not happy. And then he says this in verse 32. And John came. Now, some people, I might as well just say this. Some people in Christianity think because they come to church, because they pray, and because they do, and because they're sitting in a pew or because they're worshiping or, quote, unquote, serving God every day, that they're exempt. From such judgment but the problem is many Christians have established and redefined the parameters of simplicity of the gospel of Christ they have come up with their own 
fragrance, their own reflection, their own value system of what God would have them do. And it's usually only an elite section of the body of Christ that is able to comprehend such depth of spirituality. And anytime you hear people say, well, we're going into deep things of the spirit, know this, they're already into idiot land. The gospel is so simple that a child can understand. And anytime you take it to the adult mentality, you have separated yourself from the inspiration and the faith of the kingdom. Any gospel that does not affect the life that you now live, the world that you are now in, and the community that you are set in is a gospel that is beyond God's definition. Let me say that again. No gospel is unlivable. No gospel can, is beyond performance. And no gospel does not affect those that are around you. Now, in verse 32, it says, For John came unto you in the way of righteousness, and you believed him not. But the publicans and the harlots believed him, and ye, when ye had seen it, repented not, and afterward that ye might believe him. Here another parable. There was a certain householder which had planted a vineyard, and hedged around about it, and digged in a wine press in it, and built a tower. And he lent it out to his husbandmen, and went into a far country. And when the time of the fruit drew near, they sent, he sent servants to the husbandmen that he might receive the fruits of it. And the husbandmen took his servants, and beat one, killed another, and stoned another. Now realize that when God positions places you or plants you, and God is the husbandman, John the 15th chapter. We are the trees of righteousness, Isaiah. So we have to understand that when God plants us, he fully expects fruit from us. Could I get an amen? So just understand that if you are a fruitless Christian, you simply are a Christian that is not producing where God wants you to produce. Now, some of you are going, to, oh, my gosh, you're condemning me. Get over yourself and listen. Listen. God never condemns people, but he awakens and warns them continually. And so don't take your awakening or your warning as condemnation. Certainly, we understand that God is greater than our heart. So if your heart is condemning you, get it under control to the commandments and the wishes and the desires and the judgments of God and stop letting your emotions drive you into Fruitville. Yeah, hello. All right. Now you can see why people didn't want to come tonight. But I'm trying to help you. And so Jesus expects fruit. Could I get an amen? And every time that he sends somebody to get the fruits, guess what? They kill the servants. People hate 
accountability and responsibility and record keeping against them. They live in this foggy land thinking some way that God is totally unaware of the lackadaisical, neglective, irresponsible, do-nothing life. But that's not what the talents tell us. And that's not what God's telling us here. So remember that he sent one, he sent another, and he sent another. No matter who his sends, they kill. Why? Because they don't like accountability, responsibility, or recordability. They hate it. They don't want to be reminded of it. And they want to establish what they call is acceptable in their own eyes. And man's, all of his ways are right in his own eyes because a man that is not heart given to God is not a man that judges himself. He's a man that judges everyone else. I'll say that again. A man that has given God his whole self is not a man, usually is not people that think that is not a man that judges himself, but he judges others. Again, a perverse definition of what true spirituality is because the Bible says, he that's spiritual judges all things. I want to ask you a question. What you're doing, who have you saved with it? Who have you led to Christ? Who have you influenced lately? Who have you made a difference in? What you are pursuing, is it producing souls or is it producing separationalism, isolationism, elitism? The higher than the high is low to you. See, these are spiritual dangers that Christians go through. But no man should be involved in anything that he doesn't judge and prove that it's in God and that it's productive. Amen? Amen. All right. Yeah, well, praise God. Get a holy grunt from the dead. Hallelujah. And then it says this. And again, he sent his servant uh, more than the first, and they did unto them likewise. But last of all, he sent unto them his son, and saying that they will reverence my son. But when the husbandmen saw the son, they said among themselves, this is the heir. Come, let us kill him, and let us seize his inheritance. And they caught him, cast him out of the vineyard, and slew him. And when the Lord of, and when the Lord therefore of the vineyard come, what will he do unto those husbandmen? In other words, there's a day of reckoning of the rejection of the awakening and the stirring and the calling of the believer. Amen? Life should never be the same when we see what God requires and what we are not delivering. That is this attitude right here. Kill the messenger and reject the message in hopes that even though there is a God, 
that still you will twist his hands or turn his hands and you will receive the kingdom anyway. And it will not happen. Now, having said that, I wanted to ask you the question, what should a son do? What should a son do? I want to talk to you about the basic requirements, responsibilities, desires, and achievements and goals that we as Christians are supposed to have. Now, we have so many nowadays, you know my word. I mean, go out on any books. I mean, it's like going to the psychiatrist and walking out with a new mind. You get to find out the business practices of Jesus, which I did have my uh, uh, staff one time read, uh, what is that guy's name, uh, uh, Maxwell? I had him read that book, you know, the corporate Jesus and all that, so I have bought it and let him read it. So I had a meeting with him afterwards. What? Oh, man, Pastor, boy, this is so great, so great. I said, oh, good, good. I'm glad you enjoyed the book. On your way out of this meeting, throw that book in that trash can because you're never going to see Jesus wrapped up in corporate America and presented as the gospel. Throw it away. But there are millions of dollars being spent and millions of Christians thinking that that's what life is. Life is not a repackaging of the gospel to appease your life and your fruitfulness. Jesus Christ repackages you in the new creation that you become subject to him. That is no longer your will, but his will. Your life is lost in his life. And the 10% of monetary value that you can express your love to Christ is only followed up with the 90% of the performance of your life. Now, I know that this is not a popular message in the kingdom, but the bottom line is it is the kingdom message. The kingdom message is not about getting goods. Now, we all get goods because we are obedient to the scriptures. We do what the word tells us to do. But understand, folks, that we all end up on a dung heap. Jesus Christ is still Lord of your life. And if he's not, then you have misprioritized and misunderstood what the gospel is all about. Amen. You know, Jesus said this. They said, oh, do, do you have meat that we don't know of? He said, listen, the very essence of my purpose, my strength, and my desire, the reason I move and how I move forward is because I must do what God wants me to do while it is day, for the night will come when I will no longer be able to toil. We are to be about our Father's business. And our father's business is not always conducive to our flowerly cart that we cannot stand to be upset. The gospel is getting down and getting dirty with the broken, the hurting, the diseased, and the lost, whether they're rich or poor. Could I get an amen? Absolutely. That is the gospel. We are to influence people that when you come in contact with me, you come in contact with Christ. And any time when life is used just to make money without leaving the Christ impregnation or the seed that can lead to a new birth through the time of incubation, then we have missed our mark. Whew, 
can't stand the wind of amens, God. Turn it down. Hallelujah. Now, let's go to 2 Timothy 1.4. Let's look at some of the things that a son should do. 2 Timothy 2, 1 through 4. Thou therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in the Lord Jesus Christ. And do what? Second Timothy, oh, I said one four, I'm sorry, you should have read my notes. It's two, one through four. Second Timothy two, one through four. I don't know what I was thinking to do any actions on my own without Phyllis telling me anyway. There you go. <laughs> thou therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same you commit thou to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. Thou therefore endure the hardness as of a soldier of Jesus Christ. No man that warreth entangleth himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him who hath chosen him to be a soldier. Let's read the next couple of verses. And if a man also strive for the mastery or the Christ-like life, Yet he is not crowned except he strive for it lawfully. In other words, when it talks about the law, he gives himself totally to it. He is governed by Scripture. And then he says this, And the husband that laboreth must first be partakers of the fruit. Must first be partakers of the fruit. And then let's go to, so here we see that we are to make sure that we don't get entangled, interwoven, caught up into, distracted, or taken out of play by the things that are going on around us that are nothing but about the world. It's past and not a productive and are not productive as a soldier of the cross. Now let me say this. We are soldiers of the cross not because, not of men's causes. We are soldiers of the cross and not the soldiers of men's causes. Amen. And that's important that we understand that because we can all get caught up in the causes of the world. They are not important. The work and the soldier and the war of the believer for souls is important. Amen. Yes, all right, thank you. Now, let's go to uh, Philippians 3.17. Philippians 3.17. So the first thing we are to do is to make sure that we don't become entangled. Now, if he had not warned us, then we would not know that there is a danger. Amen? Knowing that there is a danger, then it's time to awake, take account, 
and watch. Amen. All right, so we have to awaken ourselves. So when Paul says, don't be entangled, he's really trying to awaken the soldiers of the cross. You know, oh, you don't have to do that. What do you mean I don't have to do that? No, you endure hardness of a soldier for the cross. Well, my family don't understand. You endure the hardness of a soldier for the cross. Well, you know, my friends have forsaken me. You endure the hardness of the soldier of the cross. Look, humanity is great to be involved in in their development or their call or bringing into salvation and their development of discipleship. But they are never ever to be pleased over Jesus Christ's will and his commission for our life. Amen. Could I get an amen? Amen. Sound like a Baptist, don't I? Would be to God we all did. Hallelujah. Philippians, the third chapter. Let me get there. And verse 17. Brethren, be you followers together of me, and mark them which walk so as ye have us for an example. Somebody say, nobody else. You want examples, turn to the Bible. And it says this, and it says, mark them. For many walk of whom, what's this? I have told you often, and now tell you even weeping, that they are the enemies of the cross. For many walk, of whom I have told you often, and now tell you even weeping. How brokenhearted Paul was to lose sons raised in the way. That they are the enemies of the cross of Christ. How can one be a friend of the cross and then later turn an enemy? By becoming entangled in things that are forbidden by God. And then it goes on and says this. Whose end is once saved, always saved, and they go to heaven? Who, what does it say? Whose end is... They get a cabin in heaven instead of a mansion. Destruction is pretty simple in any language. Total annihilation of one's person and the memories thereof. And it says, whose God is their belly? Remember, we talked about not using just encounters of mankind for the accumulation of wealth, success, or promotions, or even fame. Every contact with a human being is to be the opportunity to witness Christ. Okay, all right, let's look at verse 19. And uh, it says, destruction whose God is their belly. Notice the switch of worship. And whose glory is their shame. Who mind what kind of things? Earthly things. It's not that we do not tend to earthly things because we are to tend. 
A man is to attend to his sheep, his cattle, his oxen, his ass, even on the Sabbath day. He is required to provide for that which God has blessed him with. And we are to provide and take care of that which God has blessed us with. As long as it does not supersede God's value in your life and there it becomes a God instead of just a thing. And then it says these words, it's uh, who mind earthly things. Remember, we can become entangled. Somebody say entangled in earthly things. Now, for our conversation is in what? Heaven. From whence we also do what? Look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall, shall change our vile that body that it may be fashioned like unto his glorious body according to the working whereby he is able even to subdue all things unto himself. Notice that Paul establishes something that someone is teaching against. What does Paul teach? He said, therefore, in verse 20, also we look for the Savior and the Lord Jesus Christ. He is coming from heaven. But in verse 18 and 19, what does it say? It says that they were together and they preached that Jesus Christ or the day of the Lord had already come. Now, let me say something about We, we live in a world, it seems that the gospel has to become relevant for our today. But really, the gospel is relevant from the time of Genesis 1-1 to the end of Revelations 23. Now, when we take it out of its relevancy is when we pervert it to be used for something that it's not to be used for. That's the message that these men took. They began to speak of something that would come or that had already come to pass, therefore negating all responsibility for a time of the return of Jesus Christ. What is Jesus going to do when he comes? He's going to take us back to heaven to the judgment seat of Christ. When these men preached this, they basically said that there'll be no judgment, and if it's already passed, what you are doing is acceptable as okay with God. If there is no judgment, then everything is accepted. And what these men did, and Paul reiterates and says, they are the enemies of the cross. Because the cross not only justifies man, but continually shows him that there is a return of the one who died on it. And we may have seen him die on the cross in a defeated way, but we will see him return as a triumphant king. Amen. Now, we know he's a triumphant king, but the world still sees Jesus as having died. 
The strength of the gospel is not only in the death of Christ, but is incomplete without a celebration and acknowledgement of the resurrection of that same Christ. Amen. See, we have adoption and sonship, not just through the blood, but Romans 1, 4, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now, the world believes that Jesus died. They mock at his resurrection. And so when these men say that the resurrection is already passed, what they're saying is, if it's already passed, then it can happen again. And all that is happening has already been declared acceptable unto God. Now, these men were preaching something that seemed so relevant for the day because in today's society and even in the hearts of many older Christians is that the thought of us being responsible for reaching the world is simply old school. But the Bible cannot be manipulated when it says go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to whoever you're comfortable with. What's it say? No, no, let's everybody just really take a, take a moment and let's say, say, you just say it with me and I want to say it slow enough so your mind gets to think about it. Go ye into the world and preach the gospel unto every creature. Now that's not just to whoever is this, whoever is evangelist, whoever is this, whoever is that. That's to you and I. That's to you and I. That is a mandate of discipleship. And so you and I have got to, whether we like it or we don't like it, life is a proving ground of who really is Lord of your life. If Jesus is Lord of your life, you get to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. If Jesus is not Lord of your life, by cause of your own choices of your will, it'll be, depart from me, ye workers of iniquity. Jesus sees every rebellious, non-fulfilled commission and commandment as wicked. Oh, no, no, he doesn't. Yes, 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 he does. I'm not trying to be mean. You say, oh, this is so hard. Well, then you have missed the gospel 101. And when they led you to Jesus and told you everything was going to be flowery, they lied to you. See, Christianity is so free. Somebody say, just blank free. It's just free. You can't buy it. Hallelujah. But the flip side of the coin is it costs you everything. And if you don't give everything, you don't get anything. See, marriage is free. Somebody gives you their self. But if you think that's where it ends, 
wake up Susie. No, to get married costs you everything from your identity to your will, to your dreams, to your goals, to your desires. It costs you any, everything. And when any one of those things become more important than the one you married, you are out of balance. Well, I got married. I didn't know I had to do that. <laughs> you should have listened to the instructions. Well, nobody told me. Then why did you get married? Who would make a lifelong commitment not knowing? Oh, I forgot. Congress. You got to pass it so you'll know what's in it. I forgot. You are not congressmen. You are soldiers of the cross. You entered into a covenant free will to make yourself a bondservant of one Christ Jesus. Come on, could I get an amen? Absolutely, folks. Listen, let, let's, let's, let's just, you know, we look through our world with rose-colored eyes, take your glasses off, and look in the face of God and say, you know what, this is what I think Jesus is. Then you look right back into the mouth of God and listen for him to tell you what Christianity is. And let's see if your viewpoint owns up and meets up to his. Now, I'm not talking about works. And if any of you say, oh, my God, he's just rattling on about works. No, no, folks, I'm just telling you. Jesus is coming. He is coming. And you, you, you can believe, oh, well, it's going to be a whole lot better. No, no, look, you get to do this once in a lifetime. Jesus said, I only get to be Lord as you do what I tell you to do. And when you stop doing it, I'm no longer your Lord. And the outcome is going to be the destruction of all that you have. Now listen, you and I all know these Christian quotes. But we don't get to go to heaven by quotes. We get to go to heaven because of performance. Oh, no, no, I'm, I'm saved by grace through faith. In other words, you're saved by grace. You've been redeemed. Now all you have to do is bear fruit. And if you don't bear fruit, then the Father will cut you off. Now, anybody can just stop me when you think that I just said anything unscriptural. Because he will cut you off and throw you into a fire. We are saved by works. The Bible says that, you know what, faith without works is dead. You can't have the gospel and not share it and then say you believe it. Boy, that'll rattle the hidden Christians. But what if people quit liking me? Wouldn't it be great to be hated by the world? They hated him and called him a devil. When we do that, we have a counseling appointment. People don't like me. Okay, you're a Christian. Uh, okay, they don't like you. 
yeah, but I don't like them not liking me. You'll have to backslide. <laughs> Jesus said, beware when they talk good of you. But celebrate when they talk evil of you. If you suffer for righteousness sake, hallelujah, we'll be glorified with him. But if we live righteous and don't suffer anything, then evidently the righteousness does not supersede the righteousness of the Pharisees. Now, I do want you to know that this being live streamed to the Southern Baptist Conference because I'm trying to get another church. Not really. <laughs> but I do think they'll be calling me. Anyway, let's look at one more scripture. For, yeah, well, let's just look at another scripture. Uh, let's go to... Uh, Colossians 3, 1, 1 through 9. Colossians 3, 1 through 9. Remember, what should a son do? Should he become entangled in the things of the world and not fulfill what he said, I understand, I will do? Or if he catches himself in that, should he repent, get free of it, and fulfill what God, his father, asked him to do? Colossians 3.1 If ye then being risen with Christ seek those things which are above where Christ is seated on the right hand of the Father. Now what are we supposed to seek in life? Okay, let's go back to verse 1 here. If Ye then be risen with Christ, born again, adopted into the family. Seek those things which are above. Now that should tell you where all focus should be. The will of the Father. All right. Set your affection on things above and not on the things of the earth. Now, this is if you're risen with Christ, if you're in the family of faith, you might say, oh, this is just so hard. No, it's a value system. It's not hard. It's a value system. And then it says this, for ye are dead, and your life is hid with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall ye also appear with him in glory. Notice what it says. When Christ, who is our life. What if we would say, when Christ, who has a part of our life. There, that scripture was pretty plain. And it says this. Mortify, therefore, your members which are upon the earth. Fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affections, evil concupiscence, and covetousness, which is idolatry. For which things sake the wrath of God cometh upon the children of disobedience. Now, anybody can be a child of obedience or disobedience. But this is the thing that brings judgment upon people that disobey. Was the second son disobedient or was the first son? The second son that said I will but did not and then it says this Whew. 
um, in verse 7, in which you also walked some time when you lived in them. But now, somebody say now, ye also have put off all these, anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy communication, that communication out of your mouth. Lie not one to another, seeing that ye have put off the old man with his deeds. Now, let's look at verse 5 again. Mortify, therefore, the members which are upon the earth, fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil concupiscence, and covetousness, which is idolatry. For which things sake the wrath of God cometh upon the children of disobedience. Now, let's read it in a different way. Mortify, therefore, your members which are upon the earth. Now, fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affections, evil concupiscence, and covetousness, which is idolatry, anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy communication uh, out of your mouth, lie not one to another, seeing that you've put off the old man with his deeds. For it's those things that bring the wrath of God upon the children of disobedience. No sin is out of control. Every sin is a decision made at different times in life. Sin shall not have dominion over you. Don't you know whosoever members you yield yourselves to, that's whose servants you become. But the choice is yours. You get to mortify certain things or you get to keep them resurrected. Now, one more passage of Scripture and we're closing for tonight. Let's go to Colossians 3, 1 through 9. Oh, I just did that. Let's go to Colossians 2, 15. Thank you, Phyllis. I'm sorry. I thought for myself. I'm, I think I heard a man's voice out there, too. <laughs> Thank you, Shane. Ah, <laughs> uh, Wayne. Oh, yeah. Well, I should have known. All right. No. All right. Colossians 2, 15 says these words. And having spoiled principalities and powers, he made a show of them openly, triumphing over them in it. Now notice, the devil has been stripped of power. But man has not been stripped of his connection and usage of the devil. It says, and having spoiled principalities, powers, he made a show of them openly, triumphing over them in it. Let no man. You know, men are as deceived and as wicked as the devil himself. The Bible says the whole world lieth in wickedness. The whole world is within the belly of the opportunity of wickedness. And then it says in verse uh, 16, let no man therefore judge you in meat or in drink or in respect of, holy, of holidays or of the new moon or of the Sabbath days. No man is allowed to judge us. Why? Because 
which are a shadow of things to come, but the body is of Christ. In other words, they were a shadow of things that were to come, but the fullness of those shadows has been performed and fulfilled in Christ. And then it says, let no man beguile you. Don't let them beguile you of your reward in a voluntary humility and worship of angels, intruding into those things which he hath not seen, vainly puffed up by his fleshly mind, not holding the head which all the body by joint and band, having nourishment, ministereth and knit together increases with the increase of God. Wherefore, you are dead from the rudiments of the world. Why then, as though living in the world, are you subject to the ordinances, touch not, taste not, handle not, which are to perish, and that using of, using after the com commandments and the doctrines of men, which things have indeed a show of wisdom and well-worship and humility and neglecting of the body, not in any honor to the satisfying of the flesh. In other words, those things do have places that we respect people that do them. But that doesn't make people holier or unholy. All right. Now it says this. I want you to notice uh, that we look at verse 18. Let no man beguile you for of your reward in the voluntary humility, worshiping of angels. Nobody would want to do that, right? And then it says, intruding into those things which he hath not, what? Hath not what? In other words, we become informed by internet instead of by things that we have discovered in scripture. We become deceived and beguiled by men that present teachings on internets and we accept them above those that labor among us. Say, well, I just think, you know, they got a greater revelation. Well, I'm great. I'm, I'm so glad that he's the wizard of your life. But what I will tell you is you don't know him. You have never labored with him. You have never been able to judge his labor. You couldn't even judge his church attendance. You couldn't judge his commitment to faithfulness. You don't know if he's faithful to his wife, divorced five times, and the sixth one is removed from him. You don't know anything about him. And half of you are believing people that are deceived, beguiled, and trenched in self-promotion and lies. And why you would believe and intrude into something that you have only heard but not seen is a bewilderment to God. Why would you do that? Believe what another man saw. Peter said this, Thomas said this, I won't believe that he's raised from the dead till I see myself. We say, oh, doubting Thomas. 
Well, he wasn't after that. Some of us are so gullible that we don't expect any type of proof of anybody's credentials in the body of Christ. And we have become so out of kelter with mercy and grace that a man can get divorced on a Monday and be back on the television station on Sunday and we sending him money on a Monday. See, divorce used to be something that we never expected leaders to go through, but now it's just an accepted way of life. So men fail. Well, that's okay. Hallelujah. Well, I, I understand that, that mercy and grace is great. But there are certain things that to whom much is given, much is required. See, we don't think that there's just anything wrong now with people doing whatever they want to do. As long as they just pick up and move on, and anything that happens after that is a blessing of God. Really? If I wanted to deceive a group of people, I would take a man that had done all wrong, paint him up, put him up, and promote him, and people would follow his way. I would never have to do anything else. But because of the lack of discretion and judgment of people believing something they had not seen, rejecting that which they have, I could deceive all those from that point on. We live in very precarious times. And we can talk about this or that. You know, look, folks, I understand that I'm just rough around the edges. I didn't come to you with Harvard papers. I didn't come to you with any papers. Now, since I've labored and gotten papers, I never come here. Certainly, you didn't think I had a whole list of papers and credentials, did you? That would have been overthrown in the first 10 minutes of any service. But you won't find me living what I don't preach and preaching what I don't live. And what you won't find is me changing what I believe. And you'll never find me putting my own desires before God's desires. And you'll never find me using men, and you'll never find me being bought by men. Because I am under the persuasion that one day I die, and none of you will be there with me at the judgment seat of Christ. And I will stand as naked as a man can be before the God that sees all. And by mercy and grace, I will hear those words desired of every son and daughter.
and I will enter in. But my life is not governed by what I have or what I don't have. It is governed and judged by the involvement I have in taking the gospel to the world. Now, I guess you could have the Pharisees and the Sadducees, but some of us could never live up under the voice of Paul and of Peter, of James, of Timothy, or of Jesus. Really, you think that offended you? Could you not go? And if you want, follow them. You want to go, you can go. Don't you know you offended them? Yeah, I know, they're a bunch of vipers. Don't you know they won't be saved? Well, you know, if the Father can't take what I've said and work with them, then I guess they will never become followers of me. See, we always preach the floweriness of Jesus. But Jesus was not a backdoor guy. He was just a very forward guy. And he'd say, boy, you know what? You just got a wrong spirit about you. Peter, get behind me, you devil. We would never want to say that to Christians. We did that here in this house. Everybody would say the pastor should have just loved him and should have done that. Yeah, I know it. I should have. But I'm not sure that Jesus would have. Well, you know, Pastor, man, you've got to be gentle. I know. Ananias, you lied to the Holy Ghost. He drops dead. Yep, I know. I've got to be kind. You know, sometimes, folks, we forget that the gospel and our commission is pretty intense. Amen. And it cannot be taken lightly and laid aside. I'm just telling you, Jesus is coming back. For every person that we miss, they may never see heaven. That blood is on our hands. We have one life to live, and we live it with everything that is within us. And none of what I've said to you is out of balance and is not condemnative. Let's do what sons should do and not what Pharisees and Sadducees do. Well, to next week on Wednesday night, we'll, we'll talk about the Sadducee Christian. What did Sadducees do? You know, there, there are just hundreds of scriptures about what they did. And if they did it, then we shouldn't do it, right? So we're going to see. If we're true sons of God, let's do what God asked us to do. Seek the things above, not beneath. Don't get entangled with the earth. Don't start following things that you have not seen. You're just being beguiled by. People say, well, you know, I used to believe in sowing. Who told you not to? Well, you know, I, I, I used to believe in miracles. I had a man say this to me. You know, I think people like you that do miracles are a hindrance to the gospel. Oh, I had a man take me to lunch and point his finger in my face and tell me that. 
You know, there are different types of miracles. There are miracles of deliverance. There are miracles of healing, miracles of provision, and miracles of judgment. I asked God for one at that time. And you know I'm kidding. That man looked at me and stuffed a multi-million dollar finger in my face and said, people like you that do miracles are a hindrance to the gospel. It's all over. We must do what God wants us to do. Amen? What would a son do? Let's do it. Next week we'll get to discover our strange family, the Pharisees. They're family in name only, but not in DNA. All right, praise God. Stand your feet. I'll let you go. Better stop at the ice cream place and get happy. Praise God. Get a chili dilly or whatever they are and enjoy. Praise God. Say, thank God that's over, honey. What are we going to be doing next night? Next week tonight. All right. So let, let me pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you for your word. God, let us be sons and daughters of God. Let us, God, do that which you have asked us to do. You've engrafted us into sonship. You've engrafted us into the army of the Lord. You've engrafted us, God, to be those that seek the things that are above. God, we just want to be people of God. We want to be your children. And God, we understand the intensity of the hour. Every second is bringing a new declaration on the news, a new, new declaration or a moving forward of war, repositioning of nations, repositioning of values, God. God, everything that we see, God, in the world and in our world and in our nation, God, is being shaken and reformed, God. God, these are the days that you foretold of. And God, let us awaken and be prepared. Let us rise up, God, for we are the people of the generation that God, I believe, are going to see Jesus come. God, help us be wise. Help us be bold. Help us be strong. Help us, God, be resistant to sleepiness and weariness. 